Want to start off with a joke this morning for you? Yeah. Normally I have about five of them, but today this one's so good, I'm just going to do one and done. An officer pulls over a driver and informs him that he just won $5,000 in a safety competition, all for wearing a seatbelt. Pretty cool, right? What are you going to do with the prize money, he asks. The man says, well, I guess I'll go to driving school and get my license. <laughs> His wife says, officer, don't listen to him. He's always a smart aleck when he's drunk. A guy in the back seat underneath the blanket says, I knew we wouldn't get far in the stolen car. <laughs> That's it. Like that? Good. Okay. I have your approval. Yeah. Well, today we're going to be continuing our series. We just started the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're continuing that series today. We're in the sec- second chapter. We called this title, the title of this message, One Brick at a Time. To build our life one brick at a time. Last week, as we talked about the book of Nehemiah, we started off, we talked about how when we build our lives, when God restores our lives, we put it on the Father. Our lives get restored to the Father, that the Father draws his children back to him. He's a good Father. He loves us. And then we have Jesus as a part of our foundation. We have Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price for us on the cross that all of us are adopted into sonship with the Father, that there's nothing that we've ever done that we could never be forgiven of, that Jesus has forgiven us of all things. And then we have the Holy Spirit. It's part of our foundation. As we start to restore our lives, the Holy Spirit fills us up with strength and power and peace and love and joy and hope. Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And so this is how we start to build our lives. We're talking about a foundation of our life, coming back to God restoring our lives as him as our foundation. So I want to talk about the very next step in that is another one brick at a time, just one brick at a time. Have you guys ever had to start from scratch? Anybody ever had to start from scratch in something? Yeah, some of you. Well, Amy and I, it's my wife, Amy. Go ahead and give it up for hers. It's my beautiful wife. We uh, moved to North Carolina when she was uh, three months pregnant and went down there for a church plant and to start a church with my brother-in-law and my sister. We got down there and they were part of a a really large church that was going to be sending us out into a different area. And when we got down there, it was like everything was going okay. And then slowly but surely we realized, wow, this isn't where we're supposed to be. And so we packed up a U-Haul December 24th, <laughs> if this tells you anything, and loaded our entire life from Charlotte, North Carolina, and brought us, and uh, we came back to the Quad Cities. Well, I didn't have a job at the time to come back to, and so we moved into my parents' house, and I have two kids now, <laughs> and I'm living in my mom's attic, <laughs> and this is my life. <laughs> You're just starting from scratch, you know? And so I had to start from scratch in a lot of different areas of my life because I really felt like we were supposed to move to Charlotte. I felt really good about that. In fact, I even heard the voice of God say, it's time to go. 
And so that's why we packed up everything to go down there. And here I am in my parents' attic thinking like, God, I totally hear you wrong. And I, are you even out there? Like it really, it really uh, made me question my faith. It made me question, do I hear from God? Does God even speak to me? Had to start from scratch completely. Back in the Quad Cities, the place that I've tried moving away from six times. Serious. Can't get away from this place. <laughs> it had to start from scratch. No job. Parents addict. I really didn't know where to start with that because my faith was completely wrecked. I had put everything into going to start this church and I thought it was going to be so fun. So I didn't know where to put that. We sometimes find ourselves there, maybe in relationships. We put a lot of stock in a relationship and it comes crashing down. We put a lot of stock in our career and then like maybe one or two mistakes and like it's just completely taken from you. Sometimes we have to start from scratch. In our finances, sometimes you have to start from scratch. Have you ever made a really bad investment? GameStop. <laughs> sometimes you have to start from scratch. This is really where you find out where your life is built on, isn't it? It's in those moments. It's in those times of prayer when, when you're like crying out to God and it feels like nobody's listening. This is when a lot of times in life, things just get ripped from you and it just comes crashing down and you're left with a mess. What do you do? How do you start? What am I supposed to do with this? And this is where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah's heart breaks for his city. There is a wall built around Jerusalem, and Nehemiah sees and hears that the wall in Jerusalem was completely destroyed. It was a disaster. And so God breaks Nehemiah's heart to go to the city to invest into this wall. But he had to start with the foundation. The part of Nehemiah that is really true is that he was a cupbearer for the king. So it was he had to leave a really comfortable job. Could you imagine tasting wine for a king all day? It's not a bad job. It's tough. But God breaks Nehemiah's heart and calls him to go restore the city. So he has to leave his job. He prays, he fasts. And that's where we pick it up in chapter two. So I'm gonna go ahead and read chapter two today and just kind of stop here and there, a little different parts of it. And then we'll bring it all home with some different ways that we can apply this today, okay? Would you guys just pray with me? Do you, do you love the word of God? Like, isn't it amazing? Like, these words are going to be up here on the screen. They're not, like, out of the, you know, they're, they're from the Bible. They're on the screen. We're going to read along. But these words are going to speak to you guys differently than they spoke to me. And it's just alive and living. Like, isn't that amazing? 
that, that God wants to speak to us. And so like he, he gave us this, this insight to his heart. And so I just want to pray that for us. You know, there's some things that I'm going to point out in some three different ways that I see Nehemiah getting restored. But there's also, you know, just the Holy Spirit who just speaks directly to our heart. And so I just love to get out of his way and just invite him to do that for each one of us in this room today. So Jesus, we just totally invite you to um, speak to us. We thank you that we can come into your presence, that, that we are invited in. Each one of us, every single one of us in this room uh, uh, are invited into a relationship with you. And you love to speak to us. And Father, we know you love to speak to your kids. So would you speak to us today through your word? Speak directly to our hearts. Lord, you know each one of us. You know exactly what it is that we need to hear today. You know the hope that we, we came in the door thinking, well, I really hope that this message is hopeful. Um, Lord, would you just use these words to speak hope into this room? Love and joy. Give each one of us peace. Speak. Come, Holy Spirit. I choose to get out of your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're actually going to read the entire chapter. Chapter 2. Ready? Ready? Okay. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, so that's when the Ultima came out. Okay, two jokes. <laughs> King Xerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad before in his presence. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? And I love, like, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? So like, there's a question mark there. <laughs> During 2020, did you start to just kind of like, <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> and so this is the king, and Nehemiah's tasting his wine, right? And he's handing a cup over. So like at this time, when somebody takes a drink of something, then just, hey, oh, you got to try this. <laughs> like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, so like, why does your face look so sad? You're not ill, are you? So that's how I see, that's how I read that there. Like I said, God can speak to your heart too. This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And he's right. Nehemiah is completely heartbroken. Have you ever fasted and prayed and like maybe your heart's just been broken for something? And especially if you're fasting, like going without food or without Netflix. Um, when, you, when you fast for a while, have you ever been that way and you're like trying to keep it secret? When Nehemiah's heart is broken and he can't keep it a secret anymore. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So when you're working for the king, you got to check your emotions at the door. It's not like your workplace where you walk in, oh man, such a horrible morning. Like you don't do that to the king. So this is, this is really scary for Nehemiah because he's going in there. He's going in there upset and sad to the king's presence. The king said to me, what is it that you want? 
I love that question. Then I prayed to the God in heaven, and I answered the king. It says, then I prayed to the God in heaven. So he's having this conversation with the king. It's not like, okay, then I prayed to the God in heaven. So I'm, what is it you want? All right, let me come over here for a second and spend some time in prayer. But instead, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're praying the entire time? Did you know you can do that? So you're having a conversation. Maybe it's a really hard conversation. God, give me the right words to say. You know? Then he prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, so that little part there, then the king with the queen sitting beside me, the reason that it says that is because this is a very intimate moment. This is Nehemiah, the king, and the queen. This isn't like this group of people. This isn't a feast. What it's actually inviting us into was this is a conversation that Nehemiah had with the king and the queen. How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set out a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the kings, may I have a letter to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make the beams and the gates of the citadel by the city, by the temple for the city wall and the resident um, I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army officer in Calvary with me. When Sinabal the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except for the one that I was riding on. By night, I went, to, went out through the valley gate toward Jackal Well and Dungate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to go through. So I went up through the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned around and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had not yet said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or the officials of any or any others who would be doing the work. <laughs> He's going to inspect things without telling them, like, this is what, the work that you guys are going to be doing, but I'm not going to tell you about it first. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about a gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. Then re they replied, let us start rebuilding. So we began the good work. But when Sinabal the Horonite, Tobiah the Amorite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? 
a lot of people started talking about Nehemiah. Have you ever had someone question like your motives? Has anybody ever had that experience where somebody's like questioning your motives? Like, why are you doing this? So a lot of people were thinking that Nehemiah's whole goal was to rebuild this wall so that he could become the king. So what are you doing? Like, are you trying to rebel against the king? I answered them, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, and we'll start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or claim or historic right to it. They kind of cut themselves out of everything just by questioning Nehemiah's motives. They don't even get a part in Jerusalem as it's being restored, as it's being built. So there's three different things that I wanted to point out in this passage. First off, give yourself a round of applause. You just read a chapter of Nehemiah today. Good job. First off is the commission. As we start to rebuild, we are commissioned to do it. You have the authority to do it. Nehemiah is commissioned, but he's commissioned because he knows what he wants. If somebody asked you today, what do you want? Don't answer a million dollars or to win the lottery. Think of something else. What do you want? You don't want a million dollars, guys, I'm telling you. What is it that you want? Would you be able to answer that? Nehemiah comes to the king and he says, I want to go do this. He sat in his presence and the king says, well, what do you want? Well, you never know if you're going to get something until you ask. What do you want? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Nehemiah knew it. Then he says, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? The other part of commissioning is do some research. You know, look into this. What do we want? And then actually research it. Look, man, we have Google. You can find out all the things you'd ever want to know about anything. So Nehemiah knew what he wanted, but then he also did research. This is how long it's going to take me. So when the king asked questions, Nehemiah knew the answer. And he says, because of God's gracious hand on me, was on me, the king granted my request. The king cannot commission what is not asked. Nehemiah took the time to pray before going to ask the king. And then you see Nehemiah's got God's hands on him. Nehemiah knew what he wanted and God's gracious hand was on his life and the king commissioned him. So Nehemiah is commissioned. You have the authority. In fact, you have the authority. I'm going to send authority to trans-Euphrates. Here's, here's a letter for them. Let them know that you have safe passageway. Oh, and those people that uh, actually have that park with the really nice cedar trees in it. Yeah, I'm going to send you a letter with that too so that you can take those cedars and you can actually start to build the gate. So like the king just starts like granting them all these requests and he's commissioned to do this because he asked. Nehemiah was commissioned. He had an answer to his question, knew what he wanted, and the king grants him the request. As we start to rebuild our life, you're commissioned to do that. God's given you that authority, each one of us in this room. He's given you authority to rebuild your life. He loves to watch his kids rebuild and restore and, and come back to their original purpose. 
The second thing that Nehemiah had was he had an inspection. The inspection, as we start to rebuild, there's things in our life that the Lord will highlight in our life that he's working on. Well, Nehemiah in verse 11 says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I love that it says I set out during the night. And the reason is, is like this wasn't a photo ops for Nehemiah. Like, yeah, I'm here to like, you know, rebuild the wall. You know, take a, take a picture of him with a shovel or something like that. This, that's not what he's doing. He's, he's going for the inspection to see what is it going to take to actually rebuild this. So he goes out in the middle of the night. It's not on Facebook, the inspection. It was like just him. And then check this out. It's just him. And then I, I, I set out during the night and I had, told, I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. Sometimes when the Lord's like doing some different things in our life and, and some deep work, we feel like everybody needs to know about it. But if you look at this as God restores, as he's restoring the wall, Nehemiah doesn't share it with the world what's happening. God had put it on his heart and he keeps it to heart and he goes out during the night, he does the inspection. And lastly is the testing. So we have the commission we have the, the inspection, and then we have the testing. The testing. Hey, what are you doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Testing. You guys ever been tested? Nehemiah's tested about rebuilding this wall. Oh, so you're trying to become king or something? Oh, you're. Your motives are like to, for your own glory, for people to notice you more. Nehemiah was tested. As you rebuild your life, you will face obstacles. As you rebuild your life, as Jesus as the focus and the center of your life, you will face obstacles. There will be testing. I uh, was like one of those guys who was always in trouble in life, believe it or not. No, you guys don't believe that, do you? But I would definitely face some testing. So I would move away. Like I said, I've tried moving away from the Quad Cities about six times. And I'd get away from the Quad Cities to go, like, get away from my group of friends. And my friends were really into drugs and alcohol and a lot of partying and stuff like that. And so I would go away to get away from them. And, like, I'd be sober, I'd be clean. And then I'd come back to the Quad Cities, and I'd totally go right back to the same old stuff that I was doing. And I did that about four times. And the reason was is because when i come back to the Quad Cities, I thought that, like, what God had done was like, I'm strong enough to actually go into a group of like, like say eight really close friends and be that change that everybody needed. I could be Jesus to everyone. And then I'd head back into that and sure enough, Jesus is doing some crazy stuff. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Neil was. And so what ended up happening about my fourth time of moving away and trying to get my life together and coming back here, I actually had to like cut off some friendships. 
It was hard. Really hard. It's super tough to just say, you know what? Like, I can't be with you. I can't hang out, man. Like, I'm going to fall back into this. And so the phone calls would come. The text messages would come. Well, you're too good? You're too good for us now? Like, oh, you're a Christian now? So, so we're not Christians? Well, you're not living like it, but... And so I'd really have this struggle. And it was a constant testing of just falling back into that trap. And the most amazing part of that was when I finally just said, you know what, I can't do this. I can't like go into that environment and actually stay clean. So God, I'm gonna actually just surrender them to you. So I had a heart for my friends to know Jesus. And so I surrendered my friends to Jesus. Just last week, or earlier this week, I was up with a, one of my old friends who you would never expect it, but is a missionary. He's married with five kids. He came back in town and we're hanging out at Vanderveer. He was like the most broken person you would ever meet. But God restored his life. And so we're hanging out at Vanderveer Park on a beautiful day. And he goes, hey, man, like, I know we used to do these things here at Vanderveer. We got in a lot of trouble at Vanderveer, believe it or not. Uh, and he goes, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just pray. And so here's somebody that was like totally the same lifestyle as me. I had to cut ties with them. But the Lord had plans and purposes for his life. One of my other friends is, is a youth pastor up the street. It was from surrendering them to Jesus and saying, you know what, I can't do this. Even when the testing would come, I would say, you know what, I can't do this. I can't be around you guys. I love you, but I can't be around. Testing comes. As you start to rebuild your life, testing will come. So we have a foundation of Jesus Christ, the Father, in the Holy Spirit. Then we have a commissioning from God to rebuild what he wants to restore in our life. You can rebuild your life. You can rebuild your life. God can restore your life. I don't care how broken your life is, God can restore your life. He has given you the authority to fight anything that the enemy would try to take away. You are commissioned to rebuild your life. The closer you get to Jesus, the more that he starts to inspect our hearts. He starts to move on our hearts and he starts to highlight some areas. You know what? Hey, I'm really working in this area. There's an inspection. Yeah, this is why that tower crumbled. Yeah, let's work on this. Let's start to fix this area. There's an inspection that comes. And then lastly, there's testing. There's testing. As you start to restore your life, as you start to care about your relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be testing. But the awesome part is, is the Holy Spirit has filled you up and you have the strength of God that resides within you. 
to defeat any of the darts that the enemy would try to throw your way. There's testing that comes. This is a mess. It's a mess, right? So many times it breaks my heart because I just see people just sitting in the mess. You don't have to sit in the mess. You don't have to sit in the mess. You have been commissioned to get away from the mess. Instead, God actually gives us a brand new life. He doesn't say, like, you got a brand new life, but man, look at all that stuff you did. Look at the mess you made. That's the enemy that wants you to focus on that. The enemy wants us to take all of our attention off what God is doing and then actually focus on the mess that we made. Guilt and condemnation almost took my life, guys. I would beat myself up so bad at the mess that I made in life, the people I hurt. That's totally the enemy. You have been commissioned to have a brand new life. It's what Jesus paid the price for. It's what he did for us on the cross. It's not like I got to fix this mess that I made. No, just take on the new life and start here. This is the foundation. The mess will just go away. Jesus' blood covers it all. He wants to restore you. He wants to put your feet on a solid rock that when the waves and winds come and, and life is hard and the testing comes, you're solid, you're firm. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore us. The enemy is the only one focused on the mess. I want you to remember that. Take that home today. The only person focused on the mess is the enemy. Jesus doesn't focus on that. Jesus focuses on the love and the passion he has for you. Now I need you to know something. I shared this at men's retreat, and um, you know, most of my stories actually come back to the YMCA playing basketball. Sorry, guys. It's <laughs> just only so much you can do in a day. <laughs> but I, I do this a lot. There's a guy that I really look up to. He's like 6'7", can jump out of the park, like just crazy basketball player I was playing with. And I was on his team this last week, and the score was 95 to 93. And he saw me in the corner, and he passed the ball to me, and I hit a three-pointer out of the corner and was, like, really proud of that because, <laughs> like, it put us up by three or by five. And, and so anyways, I was, like, running down the back of the court, and he goes, hey, hey, Neil, man, I knew you had that. And he's, like, I mean, he's, you know, he's pumped. He's, he's like, this is game time. Like, he really turns it on, game time and stuff. And he's, like, Neil, I knew you had that. And I'm, like, yeah, man, yeah. No, no, I, I'm serious. I knew you had that. He's like, Neil, Neil, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> Everybody else has stopped. The entire court stopped. And he's in the middle of the court at center in, in this, you know, right at the, right in the center of the court going, Neil, Neil, Neil. Hey, hey, look at me. Look at me. Hey, I knew you had that. I knew you'd make that shot. That's your spot. I knew it. I knew you would do that. Man, I knew you would do that. Woo! That's Neil. 
<laughs> he's just doing all this stuff. It felt like eternity. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. Everybody else is staring at me. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the shot. No, no, I'm serious. Like, I knew you'd do that. And then he, like, comes over to me. Like I say, he's like six seven. Comes over to me, and he's, like, looking me in the eyes. He goes, I believe in you. Hey, hey, I need you to know, I believe in you. I trust you. Hey, that shot, I trust you. I trusted you'd make that. I believe in you. I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to do a chest bump. <laughs> I'm so awkward. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> what do you want me to do with that? You believe in me like you're really good. I'm poor at this, but you believe in me. Guys, he didn't leave me alone for three minutes. Everybody else is getting water breaks, and he's out there like grabbing me by the arm. Hey, I need you to know, I believe in you. Hey, I believe in you. It took Tavon, somebody I really look up to is great at basketball, to say, I believe in you. And I'm telling you guys, it, it like hit a whole new area of my life. Tavon believes in me? He's played with me before. <laughs> he shouldn't be believing in me. He knows if he passed me the ball, I'm going to shoot. <laughs> Whether I was open or not. It's something deep. And then when he wouldn't leave me alone, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I think when we're in this, man, we just need somebody to believe in us. When we're in the mess, we just need that one person to say, you know what, I believe in you. I believe in the plans that God has for your life, that this mess doesn't make up the plans that the Lord has in your life, that the Lord's going to restore your life, and this mess is going to be a way that you can relate with others. Yeah, I was in a mess too, and somebody believed in me. And so I need you to know that today. I believe in you, and there is nothing in your life that could ever separate you from the love of God. I completely believe in what God wants to do in your life. I don't care how big of a mess it is right now. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. Hey, look up here. I believe in you. I believe in you. If you were looking for one person to believe in you, I believe in you. I pray about you guys daily. I believe what the Lord's doing in your life. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. What's even bigger than that, God believes in you. You're his son, you're his daughter, he loves you so much. He believes in you. 
that sink in? Because that sparked something new in me. Man, did I want to get away from that. What's it like to have somebody believe in me? God believes in you. In the plans and the purposes he has for your life, he believes in it and he's going to see it through. He's going to see it all the way to the end. Build your foundation on him and him alone. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That was a big moment in my life was when I stopped playing church and I said, you know what, Jesus, I surrender my life to you because I'm so broken. I need something new. I, I can't do this on my own. Just invite you today. If you're looking for somebody to believe in you, I want you to know I believe in you. And Jesus believes in you. And he just says, you know what, give me your life. He's paid the ultimate price for each one of us in this room. And it's through the cross. Just surrender your life. Just say, easily. it's so simple. We've made it so complicated. Jesus, come into my heart and fill me with your love. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I can't do this on my own. I've made a mess, but I'm not focusing on it. I'm going to focus on you from here on out. And watch how he radically changes your life, transforms us from the inside out. He restores those things that, like me, even our parents had said to us. Even our, our siblings have said, even old bosses have said, the Lord will start to restore those areas. Watch how he does it. I believe in it. I believe in you. Let's pray.